All right, well, if you turn to Proverbs 13, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Proverbs 13, verses 1 through 4. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Now, it begins in verse 1 with a familiar theme. Uh, a wise son heeds his father's instruction. We've, uh, we've certainly heard that before, haven't we? And then it says, a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So uh, uh, this is another proverb, the, the principle of which we've studied before a number of times. And I just want to mention a few things about this particular verse. First of all, it's a pretty rare thing nowadays for young people to actually regard have any regard for their parents' teachings and values. As I've said before, Hollywood and the music industry and the Internet and so many things are working hard to undermine any good influence a person's parents might have on them. Uh, They often display parents as the ones that need to be taught by the children. You've seen movies and shows like that, I'm sure. Well, uh, uh, this is a bad thing, and it leads them into many hurtful errors. I was... uh, heard about something that my wife was reading on uh, an article about a daughter that hates her mother because her, uh, she wants to be a boy and her mother will have n- nothing uh, to do with that. She says, I know that I gave birth to a daughter and she won't give in to that uh, silly notion that uh, she can just will herself to be a boy. And uh, we see the, the role of the state even trying to corrupt uh, these uh, bring these corrupting influences into the home, and parents are uh, even uh, even worldly parents are struggling with some of these things. But uh, um, it, it is a that's a prime example of, of a young person that will not listen to the the advice and the counsel of her mother. And there are also, of course, bad t- bad parents that teach bad things to their children, and this, of course, is shameful as well. And it's now, of course, very common. Uh, but in those cases, the children need to obey God rather than their parents. But how is this to be done unless there's a great intervention by God? And so the only hope for these is the ministry of the Christian church and evangelistic outreach. And we have to remember there's a lot of people out there like that. And we need to, uh, it's what's happening at Rock House Kids. I'm so glad that uh, Jennifer is working with these kids that uh, are, are uh, not ever been been taught the right things from their parents. It says, a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Now, no one likes to be rebuked. No one enjoys needing to be corrected. But it's a mark of wisdom and godliness when we listen to rebuke and we prayerfully consider whether or not there's any truth in it. Now, here's some things to keep in mind when it comes to this matter of receiving rebuke. The first thing to remember is that it's our natural tendency to reject criticism. You expect to be put off at being corrected, reproved, or rebuked. 
It, it offends our pride. Uh, it offends our self-image, which is how we view ourselves, that we see that someone else doesn't agree with us about our own self-image. And our pride tells us that they don't really know us. And uh, But remember that it is true that they really don't know us. And it's also true that we really don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. And our self-image is always, almost always inaccurate and puffed up. I said almost always, but I think it probably always is, but at least with me. But uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, this question asked at the end of that verse, who can know it, is answered in the next verse, verse 10, which says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. And it uh, really stands out. God is the one who can know a person perfectly, and he's the only one that can. He knows you better than you know yourself. Well, the point is, don't reject a rebuke from a sinful, uh, don't reject a rebuke or a correction because you assume that they don't really know you. Uh, your, your, your own self-image is uh, probably off somewhat as well. So you need to ask God if this rebuke is totally or even partially appropriate for you. And you must keep in mind, keep an open mind to these things. The second thing I want to mention is related to this, and that is don't expect a sinless rebuke from a sinful person. So many people reject a rebuke because it's done it's not done sinlessly or perfectly. Well, I'm afraid it's impossible to be done in this world sinlessly and perfectly unless it's Jesus himself doing it. Seldomly done sinlessly. Uh, think about what they say and ask God to help you sort out what's true and what's not. Don't reject all of it because it's given out sinfully. Third, I would say this. Uh, consider the one who makes the one who makes the effort uh, to uh, correct you is a better friend than those who flatter you. I love this verse, Proverbs twenty-seven six: Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So, when rebuked or corrected, we need to think about it. We need to ask ourselves: uh, uh, Am I receiving it as a wise Christian, or am I rejecting it as a scoffer? A scoffer does not listen to rebuke, it says. He's too proud to consider that he might be wrong about something or about his own self-image. And I know you've met people like that. Uh, don't be one of them. Now, something I'd like to mention on the giving of rebuke very briefly. Uh, I think that a sharp rebuke should be done very rarely. And most of the time, we should correct people gently and carefully. And, of course, even a sharp rebuke should be done thoughtfully and carefully, but above all, rarely. A few people will profit from a sharp rebuke. Uh, however, there are times uh, when some will, and there are other times when the sharp rebuke is more the benefit for others than it is for the one that's being rebuked. Uh, most of the time, a sharp rebuke is not going to change them but it needs to be done with some people just to keep them from stepping over the boundary. And I think um, that's like, it reminds me of a dog with their, you know, like the, the, the electric collar that they have and they step over the, the line and they get shocked. Well, there are some people that need that. Very few, but there are people that do from time to time. I think about my employees and there are certain ones that I've had over the years that uh, 
um, <clears throat> that need to be uh, dealt by with a rebuke. Uh, but uh, these are very, very rare. I, I'd say uh, that uh, more than 99% of them respond best to a kind and gentle correction. Uh, but they need to know that you mean it and that your correction is not something that they can ignore. And actually at, at NAFCA we use a point system now and uh, that seems to work best for us as far as keeping a disciplined environment that's fair to all. Now, here's the spirit, though, of giving rebuke and correction. And we see we have a number of scriptures here that speak to this very issue. Second Timothy 4.2, he's telling Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The emphasis being on all longsuffering and doctrine. Second uh, Timothy 2, 23 through 26, again, talking to Timothy, he says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And I think all of us should, you know, always keep that in mind. And especially Christian leaders need to remember that. This is what God has called us to do, to be gentle, to be careful, to be patient with people um, and, and correct them gently. And of course, Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest... Uh, you also be tempted. And of course, we're not allowed to rebuke the elderly. First uh, Timothy 5.1, he says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. And this would be for uh, not just older men, but older women as well. So do you see how all this relates to church discipline? Uh, we're all under uh, obligation to help one another and to, uh, and to uh, exhort one another. And formal church discipline or Public church discipline will be less needed if the whole body of Christ is engaged in private church discipline, which is simply the brethren encouraging and exhorting one another to love and good works. I think of Hebrews 13, 12 through 13. It's a very relevant passage on this. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You, think, you see here what the remedy, uh, or at least a remedy, for backsliding is found in the fellowship of the Christian church. You see, he tells us that um, we are to uh, exhort one another daily while, while it is called today lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is talking about the brethren. This is talking about the people sitting in the pew. This isn't, for the, this isn't the pastor's job. This is all of our job to exhort one another daily. And by the way, that means, too, that we really ought to be involved in one another's lives, not as busybodies, but as friends. And, and there ought to be Christian fellowship in the church to where we get to know one another well enough to be able to exhort one another. It's pretty hard to exhort a stranger, and, you know, the closer you get to people, the more you're able to take them aside and gently talk to them about something. And, and so it's, it's a, Christian fellowship is very, very important for these matters to work. 
uh, <clears throat> now, uh, then, um, uh, uh, so these are just some things to keep in mind. A sharp rebuke should be rare, and it's generally done when defending God's people from wolves and charlatans. So even more rarely should it be done among the brethren. Uh, most of the correction that we do needs to be done uh, with the instruction of those passages that I've just read. Gentleness, thoughtfulness, respect, patiently, and above all, lovingly. And then, then there's a chance that they'll receive it if it's done in that way. Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Proverbs 25.12, as an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. And I believe this is said this way because it's so rare to find a wise reprover. And at least at the same time, it's hard to find someone with an obedient ear. And you know, gold is valuable because it's rare. Well, so also is a virtuous woman or a virtuous man or a consistent Christian or one who reproves wisely and lovingly consistently. So we have an obligation to listen to those that correct us and even rebuke us, but especially our brethren exhorting us, as it says in Hebrews chapter 3. This is a means of grace. And, and it also shows the wisdom of God in, in uh, providing us the church. We have an obligation to correct and to exhort appropriately according to the principles laid out for us in the Bible. But the, says the scoffer does not hear rebuke, and that's to his ruin. But never should a Christian be that way. Now, there are also severe warnings to the scoffer, and, and one of them is Proverbs 29.1. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be cut off, and that without remedy. I remember John Noble, a friend of mine, old, he's been with the Lord now for, I guess, 30 years now, but I remember him telling the story of uh, a man that he witnessed to a number of times, and and finally the man just cut him off and said, listen, I don't want to hear this anymore, and he just uh, he just, uh, he just just turned him off, and and uh, John Noble quoted that passage to him. He that is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be cut off and that without remedy. And John never bothered him again. And about, I think it was just a few weeks later, the man was talking with his wife on the phone and the line went dead. And when they investigated, he'd had a massive heart attack right while he was talking to his wife. Never had an opportunity to repent. He was cut off. Now, Proverbs 13:2 then it says, a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. Now, the King James says, a man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of transgressors shall eat violence. I, I think that makes more sense. Uh, listen to George Lawson on this verse. He says, trees are often planted by one man and dressed by another, while the fruit of them is eaten by a third. But the tongue of the righteous is a tree of life that yields its most precious fruits to themselves. They enjoy the comfort and credit and gracious acceptance of their own holy and useful discourse. And these fruits are produced not once a year, but every day. But the tongue of the transgressors is like a poisonous tree that bears fruit, often hurtful to others, but mortal to themselves. 
Charles Bridges says this. He says, Never shall we carry upon our lips that beloved name to our fellow sinners, but its savor to our own souls will be as ointment poured forth. We shall feed ourselves in the Christian distribution of the heavenly manna. The transgressor also eats the fruit of his mouth, yet not good. His soul sets his tongue on a flame. He loves violence and therefore eats it to his own ruin. Then Bridges quotes Proverbs 18.21, Death as well as life are in the power of the tongue. And then he goes on, uh, Let us look that it be under the influence of divine grace, restrained from evil, disciplined for usefulness, the fruitful instrument of our own happiness. Now as I was meditating on this passage, I was thinking about two examples in Scripture. Um, Actually, uh, one of these examples was given me by one of the commentators, and then, then I thought of the other one. I wanted to have a positive and a negative one. I uh, think of Shimei and Abigail as perfect uh, representatives of this verse. Think of the verse again. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. I think of Shimei and Shimei's curse. Now, you know about Shimei's curse. David was being run out of Jerusalem by Absalom. Uh, uh, he was fleeing. It uh, looked like Absalom was going to depose him. Uh, the majority of Israel was uh, behind Absalom. It looked pretty bad for David. And Shimei was uh, a relative of Saul, and uh, he was uh, he was uh, David was going out with his men, and he was uh, Shimei was off uh, to the side, uh, cursing him and and uh, and. Uh, uh, throwing dirt in the air and, and just making a terrible scene. And uh, one of uh, David's men said, you want me to go over and cut off this dog's head? And David said, uh, no, no. He said, the Lord has sent him to curse me. And he said, so, uh, so let, him, let him be. Maybe the Lord will hear it and the Lord will have mercy upon me. This is a very godly response by David. But David never forgot it. Uh, David's instruction to Solomon uh, was this in First Kings 2, verses 8 and 9. He said, And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahaniam. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with a sword. And now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and you know how you ought to do, what you ought to do to him. But bring his hair, gray hair down to the grave with blood. And, of course, uh, Solomon gave him a test. He failed the test. I uh, was disobedient to Solomon. And so Solomon did have him put to death. But then there's a the good example of Abigail. And Abigail, you can see how Shimei destroyed himself. But Abigail saved herself. Look, turn to, I want to read this passage. Turn to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24. I think it's, uh, <clears throat> it's such a good example I'd like to spend a little bit of time here and just see the wisdom of Abigail here. Now, you know the background here of this story is uh, she was, um, uh, her husband was Nabal and he was, uh, uh, he was an evil man and David had been uh, camped out by where his shepherds had raised, had been raising their sheep and taking care of them and, uh, and uh, David knew it was sheep shearing time, a time of great plenty for Nabal David, of course, was fugitive at this time, and and uh, he thought because of his 
a friendly discourse with Nabal's servants that maybe Nabal could spare some goods for him and went down to ask for, sent some servants to uh, ask Nabal if uh, if he could spare some uh, victuals. And and so uh, Nabal uh, cursed them and cursed David and and uh, said some pretty horrible things and sent the men away uh, empty-handed. Well, David was a young man, and young men can be angry. Now, old men can be angry, especially a young man. And uh, and so David was very angry. And he went, he told his men to mount their horses and get ready, and they were going to go and kill everybody. He said, you're going to wipe out every male belonging to, to Nabal. Well, we begin then in uh, chapter four, chapter 24, verse 23. Abigail, of course, she, she's coming out to meet David. She's loaded a bunch of donkeys with stuff. And she's come to meet David, and she says this. Now, when Abigail saw David... She dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. <clears throat> so she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please, let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please, let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your, hand, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the, live, and, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. It shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. <clears throat> And blessed is your advice. <clears throat> and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice. And respected your person. So now you see what's happening here. Uh, this uh, this is a, a great illustration of not only how she used her words to save many lives, including her wicked husband, but it's also an illustration of what we've just considered in verse one. Uh, see how she wisely corrected and patiently corrected David and stopped him from from sinning. 
Also, this is an illustration of somebody receiving instruction and correction humbly for David. And though he was anger, angry, he listened to her and, um, and, he, and he did as she said. Uh, there are many, many lessons here. Uh, you know, by the way, don't listen to those commentaries that criticize Abigail uh, for doing this without telling her husband and uh, for calling her husband a fool in verse 25. Uh, she called him a scoundrel and a fool. Uh, well, Abigail was just confessing what everybody else already knew about Nabal. And uh, David and everybody else knew he was a fool. Even the servant that told Abigail about all that had happened, she, she called him, uh, he, he called uh, uh, Nabal a son of Belial. And so, uh, uh, so this was just uh, common knowledge, and it was something she just acknowledged. And it was a shame to her as well as to her husband. Uh, besides that, uh, Nabal was drunk. And uh, we all know that you're stupid if you confront uh, a drunk. That's, there's no wisdom in confronting a drunk. And so she wisely uh, did not confront him while he was drunk. Um, uh, she did the right thing, and the necessary thing, and she acted in Nabal's best interest in spite of himself. And after he sobered up, then she did confront him, and she told him everything. So her speech and her actions here were extremely wise, very faithful to her husband, uh, this husband that didn't deserve her, and they were very righteous. So you see, she ate well by the fruit of her mouth. You see that? She ate well by the fruit of her mouth. Shimei, on the other hand, was destroyed by the fruit of his. You see then, death and life, both from the use of the tongue. This happens often all around us in daily life. Uh, I've recently seen this worked out in two different men at NAFCO. Uh, one totally destroyed his own reputation and a very important relationship with, with an angry outburst of vile language and false accusations, while another man patiently and wisely corrected his supervising manager and he helped him to understand a complicated matter and he appeased him. And both of these men will most certainly eat the fruit of what came out of their, lo their mouths. So verse 3 then is similar. And uh, <clears throat> says this, He who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. So we see that thoughtful Abigail guarded her mouth and she chose her words carefully in a very distressing circumstance. While Shimei, he just made free vent of his hatred of David. Abigail's life was thus preserved with, along with her whole household and Shimei received destruction. Now James tells us then to bridle our tongues. I know I mention this often, but there for a reason. We need to bridle our tongues and we all need to do so because of our fallen natures. On account of our fallen natures, our tongues are naturally, as James describes them in chapter 3, verse 6 of his book, he says, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. That's pretty strong language. And I hope, if any of you carry a gun, that you use gun safety. 
And uh, if you know the destructive power of a gun, I hope that you handle them with extreme care. Well, it's the same thing with our tongue. Our tongue is more destructive in a different way. We need to handle it with care. So then verse 4, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Now, this, of course, is uh, also repetitious. It's a repetitious theme as well. But I'd like to apply this passage spiritually tonight uh, and uh, talk a little bit about the doctrine of sanctification as it applies to this. I remember it struck me when uh, Hansworth Jonas was here just a few weeks ago. Uh, he said that age does not equal spiritual maturity. If you remember him saying that. He said that a person can be a Christian for 50 years and have the maturity of a one-year-old, a one-year-old Christian, if they're not actively engaged in putting sin to death in their lives and learning to walk in holiness. And it's a very important point. Now listen to Peter on this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this in verses 5-10. through 10. He says, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. You see how he talks about diligence here. Uh, people say they want, they want faith, they want to grow in grace, but they're too lazy to exercise the means of grace. They're too lazy to, to do their own devotions, to spend that time in prayer and build up a, a prayer relationship with God. Um, you see how the matter of diligence is very much a facet of our spiritual growth. Peter certainly says so. Now, no Christian wants God to assess his or her life as barren or unfruitful. Uh, do, any, do any of you want God to assess you that way on the last day? Um, there will be those that will be assessed that way. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And by the way, I do not believe that all Christians will hear that commendation from Jesus. I believe that some uh, will be embarrassed on Judgment Day. Uh, we desire the commendation, just like this passage says. It says, the soul of the lazy man desires, and he has nothing. Um, and so we, we want it, we desire it, uh, uh, but uh, 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 what, is your, what is your Christian life uh, how, is, how does it stack up in the sight of God? Uh, we desire it, but if we do not employ some level of diligence in our Christian life, we will not hear that commendation from Christ. Uh, we'll, we will desire and have nothing, but the soul of the diligent will be made rich. So how rich will you, hear, will you be to hear these words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant? Can you think of anything greater? Do you have a single possession that's more important than hearing that? Do you have a single goal in life that's better than that? I can't think of a single one myself. 
So this verse on diligence also relates back to verse 1 and the receiving of rebuke. See, we can stubbornly refuse to be corrected and we'll suffer for it spiritually because every Christian will receive chastening from God and we should humbly and diligently receive it from the hand of God and purpose to get the most out of it that we can because he will chasten us. Uh, God will rebuke us himself uh, in many different ways. And we need to respond to that. We need to, we need to not be the scoffer who doesn't listen to rebuke. And this is part of our spiritual growth. Our repentance then needs to be done promptly, thoroughly, and purposefully. Our pursuit of God should be done zealously. Our prayers should be made fervently. And our service to God should be done diligently and without complaint. And our love for others should be shown with our feet and with our hands. You know, if you're diligent in your work, uh, you'll be more prosperous. Uh, why would we want to be less so in our spiritual lives? Uh, the benefits we receive from a close walk with God, they far outweigh any earthly benefits that we could ever imagine. Well, that's uh, some uh, few little things from those four verses, and I hope they've been helpful to you tonight. Let's close with a word of prayer.